Welcome back to Geek Life, Pandamanga.com's very own podcast. I'm JP, as always with me, my fearless co-hosts, The Brian. It's ninja time! And Joe. Turtle power! <laughs> Along with us today, we have Neuro. Go ninja, go ninja, go. And Pinku. I made it funny. <laughs> <laughs> so good. A full round. Well done. Guys. That was that was amazing. <laughs> All right. So obviously we're in a little bit of a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles mood. We recently watched Turtles Forever. Came out in what? 2009. 2009. But uh, yeah, really, really fun. So we're going to actually talk about that and review it later. But first, a little housekeeping. First up on housekeeping, we had a really good time at Stockton Con. This was the second Stockton Con. It's a new convention, but it is turning out to be a really freaking good one. It was already bigger than Big Wow, I heard. Bigger than Big Wow, yeah. Actually, by a pretty good really? pretty good margin, really? yeah, actually. So wow. Stockton Con's great. They actually have a very good artist's alley, or have had a very good artist's alley these past two years. I would say potentially the best artist's alley I've seen since... I don't know, the best artist alley I've seen in one of the smaller cons, anyway, one of the more local cons. It's probably only beaten by Ape. Oh, yeah, well, obviously beaten by Ape. But the other one I'm thinking of is WonderCon. I went mm. to WonderCon. It was kind of similar setup, but maybe about twice as big. But, I mean, it's it's good size, especially for one of the, I mean, I guess you could call local conventions. It's Stockton Con. Yeah. So it's great. We're used to SACCon, which is awesome, but always squeezed into some little tiny room, and it's really hot, and there's a lot of people there, but not... Anywhere near as many as Stockton. Mm-hmm. I'll bet it's much less expensive to get into Stockton Con. That must be part of it. I don't really know. But it's it's great. We just enjoy the hell out of it. Lots of really cool people. We actually ran into some people we've seen before. Junior Bruce. Hey! Yeah. And then uh, D-Caster was there also, which is awesome. D-Caster, really? if you aren't familiar. He yeah. Was. Yes. Yeah. Oh, D-Caster, awesome. if you aren't familiar with D-Caster, you can go to pandamanga.com and click on our series link. Actually, there's also on our content slider. And it is the Terrible Suicidal Monkey Machine. It's his full first issue of a comic that he's testing the waters with, see if people like it enough to go on and do a second one. He's moving on to a new and interesting story, and we're looking forward to seeing that in the future. He hasn't released a whole lot of details. Anyway, so, ran into some old friends, made some new ones, got a couple comics, got some interviews, had a really good time, took lots of pictures. Yeah, Joe, was, it Joe bad? was like a ninja with the camera. Was it bad? Well, no, they were good. Okay. <laughs> they were really well, then, good. Yeah. Yeah, then, then I'll take credit for it. If it was yeah. good, I'll take credit for it. Exactly. <laughs> Joe's got it you know figured out. Know me so well. Oh, uh, yes. Well, every time you ask me, oh, did you get a picture of that? Oh, yeah, I already got it. <laughs> Ten minutes ago. <laughs> See, the problem... John, you're not going out of the middle management playbook. If it's good stuff, then you have to take all the credit for it. If they suck, then you say Joe took the pictures. Oh, is that how it works? That's how it works, my friend. See, for me, I am nervous about not getting the picture because I went around Stockton. No, I went around SACCon and got a bunch of really good interviews and forgot to get pictures and had to go back around and be like, sorry, can I get a picture? I totally forgot to get one earlier. And it was really unprofessional and shitty. That's Mm. what you blame on Joe. Oh, okay. Uh Even though I wasn't there. For that. Doesn't matter. <laughs> anyway, so you can go to events.pandamanga.com and check out our StocktonCon coverage there. We will have at least a gallery. I don't know if I want to put all of the interviews into a podcast of its own or if I'm going to put up a couple spotlights, but we'll definitely have an image gallery up there of all the really cool stuff there. Lots of great costumes and just a really, really good time. We saw our first Slave Leia. Yes, we did. <laughs> and she was hot. <laughs> Very. <laughs> Out of all the cons you went to, it's the first one you saw. I know, right? Yeah. Wow. Speaking of conventions, SAC Anime is coming up at the end of the month, August 30th through September 1st, at the SAC Convention Center and Sheraton Grand Hotel. 
We'll be there at least on Sunday, but hopefully the whole weekend. Pre-registration is $35 at the door for Friday only is $25. Saturday only is $35. Sunday only is $20. And the whole weekend is $40. This is, of course, at the door. Pre-reg is very reasonable, I think. You can go to sacanime.com. That's S-A-C-A-N-I-M-E.com for more information. So also, uh, Japan Expo is coming up on August 23rd to the 25th at the Santa Clara Convention Center. They have a bunch of interesting things. So um, I'm guessing it's Japan Expo, so it's heavy emphasis on anime, manga, things like that? Yes. But you were saying before the podcast that they actually have a really good artist alley last time you went there, right? They have a long list in artist alley. They also have something called Young Creators. They have Manga Guests. Well, it's pretty interesting because uh, Santa Clara Convention Center is our stomping grounds because we usually go there for, or we've been there for fanime. This is going to be there. They're going to have martial arts, e-gaming. That sounds really cool. Hmm. Maybe we'll just go there as civilians, not in all our gear, and actually you know, pay to get in and just have a good time instead of running around with, like chickens with our heads cut off, shoving microphones and cameras in people's faces. Well, Joe will probably still bring his camera. Well, probably. <laughs> they also have cosplay and a masquerade. Nice. Sounds like a good time. Anime con without a cosplay. Yeah, of course. You gotta (laughs) gotta have a mask. Yeah. Oh, and then actually before the podcast, one last minute addition to the housekeeping. Brian came up and and told me something incredibly exciting. Brian, why don't you share this exciting news with everybody? So, kind of a big fan favorite as far as cartoons go. Kind of? Okay. A major fan favorite. I'm a huge fan of this. Yeah, especially at the Panda Palace, is a show called Code Monkeys, <laughs> which you can find on Netflix. It's a 8-bit animation or maybe 16-bit animation about... It's kind of a mix of things. Yeah. Like the characters themselves are 8-bit sprites, the ki- but the backgrounds can be a little more complicated. About basically people working for a pretty much a Atari knockoff kind of... Or- yeah, they work for a game development company called Gameavision that was originally founded by Wozniak... <laughs> And they call him the Waz. Yes. It's amazing. As they should be. Right. And then it's, it's a get, really, really funny show that works on so many different levels, both literally and figuratively. And if you are at all a game fan, let alone a classic gaming fan, that that whole show is just a love letter to you, directly to you. Or if you just like comedy, plain and simple. It's very funny. Anyways, about that, the creator of that show is now coming up with a brand new 8-bit show called Outlands. Squee! The first episode came out on August 6th. So it's about a group of misfit soldiers who are sent to the far reaches of outer space to clear planets of life and make room for intergalactic convenience stores. So <laughs> That sounds amazing! This is hosted on the Geek and Sundry channel on YouTube, which is the channel that started uh, by Will Wheaton and Felicia Day. Oh, Felicia Day. So it's like, and, you know, basically yeah. the geek home of the internet. Yeah. And part of the cast of this is Felicia Day and oh, Felicia uh, Day. Dana Snyder, who you might know as Mr. Shake from Aqua Teen Hunger Force. Nice. And he's also done a lot of other Cartoon Network and Adult Swim shows as well. Suffice it to say, we're super excited about it. Brian and I haven't seen it yet. He literally told me about this as we were getting in the car coming over to the studio well this week was geek week on youtube and so that's kind of how i found out about it nice but i just saw it on a news like on a passing news feed i've been a bit too busy to watch it so but we felt we would be remiss to not mention it because that is big news for us anyways for sure (laughs) finally neuro has some incredibly exciting news neuro take it away man hi i've been working on this project called vidcast for about almost a year now and with a couple other developers and the other developers have now left me 
to work on this by myself. Mm-hmm. And there is a big user of the software called Monday Night Dance Party. And you can imagine the name is pretty self-explanatory. Vidcast lets you get a group of friends together on the internet and watch a bunch of YouTube, Vimeo, or SoundCloud URLs. And Monday Night Dance Party with me are trying to put together a Indiegogo campaign to raise funds to upgrade Vidcast to 2.0, we call it, and add a bunch of cool features and functionality. So uh, we'll include the link in the show notes. As well as you can just go to igg.me slash at slash vidcast um, for our campaign page. Uh, take a look. And if you can help us out, help us out. Otherwise, just get the word around. Just appreciate trying to send a link out as well as we have a contest for if you use the Indiegogo tools, uh, you can get a free iPod or a Nexus 7 tablet if you are chosen as the contest winner. That's awesome. What Ooh. Can you describe to us some of the features that you're going to add in 2.0? Well, it, or the plan features anyway, it started as a hackathon project, so it's pretty ugly. So one of the first <laughs> things we want to do is reskin it, put some lipstick on it, and then we want to be able to create social playlists. So the idea is, you know, you, you might have some videos on YouTube, some videos on Vimeo or some tracks on SoundCloud. It allows you to create a playlist from all these different places and we're planning to add more so you can create this cool playlist and then you can like write your friends that says a certain time to meet up online and go through them and you can, so you can almost make like your own television station that is created from available internet videos from multiple different user submission sites and then sit around and chat about it with your friends while you're watching. Mm-hmm. That well, sounds amazing. Well, wow. it's pretty cool actually, because um, the thing is uh, I have, there's this Japanese band that I like, right. And nobody no. who, I, who I live near, <laughs> <laughs> nobody who I live near is going to watch the damn concerts with me. So usually what I do with all my friends is we get on IRC and we'd all have the DVD or we'd all have a video and we'd be like, okay, everybody hit play in three, three two, two, one. one. Yeah. And <laughs> so we, we, watch it really really ghetto like that so vidcast would actually be really cool if we get to develop it too because then i could just drag my friends over and we can watch this thing all together and another thing is i'll also be working on the design for vidcast i already did a new logo for it recently it's pretty sexy just saying (laughs) you can check out the current app at vidcast-app.net um, that's version 1.0 and in 2.0, we're hoping to allow you to upload your own media so you don't have to rely on YouTube or Vimeo hosting. Oh, wow. That just sounds like such a cool idea. There's such a huge opportunity to hang out and meet with people. I, honestly, I watch less and less television. I'm going to watch more and more streaming videos from the internet. Mm. So much really good entertaining content up there. I think the 8th Henry might get into this. That might be fun, huh? Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> and there's so many uh, internet videos out there it's great to do it socially with other friends so they can share videos you may have never seen before and that's what we find is when we're like Monday Night Dance Party everyone brings new music you've never you've never you would have never heard from these indie corners of the internet and it's just amazing stuff that's awesome so I think that this might become something that really becomes its own animal that you create this platform and then from it will spring all these different social and interesting ideas and wait like Monday Night Dance Party is one way you could go but there's lots of different things you could do with it. Right? Oh, absolutely. It's very exciting. I, I I'm very anxious to for Netflix to get their API together so we can, you know, all watch a Netflix oh movie. Oh my together. god, that would be amazing. Oh, dude. That's Are, awesome. Is that something that's that's coming down the pipe? Oh yeah. Netflix is changing their player from Silverlight to HTML5 and when it's in oh, HTML5 I think their API would be very hard to stop us from including it That'd that be would be amazing nice. wow how cool everyone will have to have their own netflix accounts but it sure th- this is the type of power it's going to enable us to do it's just you know provides a real-time experience inside the browser which is like i think web 3.0 if you want to call oh, it. oh heck yeah it'll be really interesting to see what the culture of vidcast happens organically just from the users be really neat to see yeah, awesome so check it out find yeah, it so we can seriously. work on it <laughs> because I, I very seldom get to work on projects that are projects that are really cool. Let's just say this. I get paid to make pieces of shit all day. So <laughs> so when I get to make something really cool, just it's 
sometimes too good to be true. So please don't make this too, big, too good to be true. So help us out. Uh, tell your friends uh, or, you know, throw some dollars down at it. Yeah, very cool. Well, we're excited about it and looking forward to seeing it on the other side and getting to play with it. Well, I think that's about it for housekeeping, gentlemen. Yes? yes. Co-hosts? <laughs> Agreed? Okay. Moving on to our Indie Spotlight of the Week. This week's Indie Spotlight is Sidekick Quests. If you'd like to read along with us, Sidekick Quests is at SidekickQuests.com, spelt just like you would expect it to be. It is a webcomic, a role-playing game for adults and kids by James Stowe. So we stumbled upon this a little while ago, and Joe and I were sitting around looking up things for the uh, Indie Spotlight, and we came across it, and we thought, oh, that sounds kind of cool. And then we looked at it more, and it's like, oh, it's another D&D thing, because there's so many D&D-themed comics, especially web comics. But this one has a really unique spin on it. Joe, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? So this one actually is kind of a play-by-play of the game that the creator and writer, artist, god of the <laughs> game. The DM. DM. Yeah, right. the DM. This is his game. He is taking the notes from the game, writing out the script, drawing it out, and it's completely lifelike. You can tell that all these characters are alive and not two-dimensional. Sidekick Quest takes place in the world of Aventure. (laughs) Uh, So let's see here. In the world of Aventure resides the kingdom of Chivel. Chivel? Chivel? I think Chivel. Chivel. Chivel, okay. Resides the kingdom of Chivel, where King MacGuffin's daughter has been kidnapped by the evil spiked knight of the Badlands. The king is forming an army to attack, but this story is a tale of novice adventurers from the town of Fairvale. First up, we have Janice the Squire, who is Sir Wesley's sidekick, then Benton the Scout, Ranger Renna's sidekick, Gethany the Apprentice, Professor Pendarva's sidekick, Money the Amateur, Carmine Comexo's sidekick. So all these guys basically are sidekicks or in training or apprentices of all of these would-be heroes basically all these guys are working for or under the people who would normally be the ones who would take a D kind of quest right mm-hmm. somebody who's like a full-fledged wizard a full-fledged warrior you know and they this big group go out together you know you've got all your different guys you've got your, your you've fighter, got your magic yeah. user you've got your fighter you've got your there's like a jester type guy mm-hmm. <laughs> right but you kind of have all these different classes coming to work together and be a group in a D&D game, sort of classic style. Except the spin on it is that the story isn't about them, it's about their apprentices, right? Mm-hmm. Who get left behind. Who get left behind, yeah, exactly. So with the spiked knight stealing the king's daughter, everybody is getting pulled away to go to the Badlands to fight the spiked knight and save the king's daughter. And thus leaving our characters, the main characters of the story, the apprentices of all these guys, the helpers, the squires of all these guys, they are... Left back, yeah. They're just they're left back in town, just chilling by themselves, and they all want to, or they'll say they'd like to go out and fight in the Badlands and fight the Spiked Knight, but they end up just getting left back at home. And sure enough, adventure finds them. So, what did you guys think of the story of this one? Definitely cute, very cute. Yeah, (laughs) such a family friendly story. I love the intro to Gephany. I just thought that that was brilliant. I'm invisible, partially. Yeah, so earlier on, Gethany is walking through the town and is all excited about being able to do an invisibility spell. But then somebody says, I can still kind of see you. And sure enough, Gethany's like, oh, well, uh, it's a mostly invisible spell. Then Gethany like runs into Death and Death wants to, to take Gethany away. 
and and he's, and he's like, no, I'm I'm not dead. I'm just mostly invisible. And that's like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> so very good humor in this. Definitely a lot of fun. Very consistently, even though it's not a one shot, but every time mm-hmm. it's a ongoing story. There's very regular, like laugh out loud, chuckle moments. It's very De- good. Yeah. So, I mean, definitely one of the greatest assets of this one is its sense of humor for sure. I really liked how the game master pops up periodically, point out, quote, important stuff. And basically, the game master acts as a narrative. He's kind of snarky and he's very funny. But instead of just being the narrative voice, it's actually the game master. One of the things that really cracked me up about the game master in particular is that, you know, you're thinking a game master. Game master is going to be somebody who's really good at D&D, very competent, understands all of the different rules and knows all the different weapons and all the different spells and all the different monsters and everything, RGM might be a little lacking. And it's very funny. Basically, early on, there's a wizard that the GM shows us at the very beginning uh, in the sewers when there is like their first story where they deal with the dark wizard in the sewers. And at the beginning, the wizard has this little creature next to him. And as the GM is introducing him, he says something along the lines, he's introducing the wizard, he's introducing this and that. And then he says, and whatever that thing is. <laughs> Later on, that same little creature is messing around and it kind of comes past them as they're in their hideout. And they're all sitting around at the table talking and bemoaning the fact that they're not off at this war fighting and everything. And this little creature walks by and one of the characters says, hey, it's a homunculus. And then right then the GM pops in and says, homunculus, I knew that. <laughs> <laughs> and so like, right when you almost forgot that the GM was there, you're thinking like, oh, the GM's just going to pop in right in the beginning and do the important stuff every once in a while. And do the world building and help to set up a new scene in a new location or something like that. But it actually a pretty active character yeah. as well. It kind of pops up and is just snarky and silly, making funny comments and complaining and then has a personality of his own, which is so great, you know, saying like, wait, wait, I, I knew that. I knew that. You know, instead mm-hmm. of just this disembodied head of like, and then this happened and then that happened and I'm omniscient and I can see everything. It's kind of fun to have like a fallible narrator. Like that's mm-hmm. really cool. Yeah, you don't see that a lot. No, you really don't. Yeah, I really like when it happens, actually. I love that fourth wall stuff all the time. Yeah, the fourth wall stuff is great. It's really fun to play. But the fourth wall stuff works really good in this because it's based on a D&D game. And so that's the very nature of playing D&D is that you actually get to talk to the god of the universe at the table with you just sitting over there eating Cheetos. <laughs> <laughs> I think the single thing that stood out the most with this one and it's what I was alluding to earlier, we see a lot of Dungeons and Dragons styled comics especially webcomics. But what's so cool about this one is that they actually have like a little playing board below it whenever there's actually action happening. Yeah, and they map out where all the characters are and where they've moved to. And there's like little playing pieces that look kind of like badges and they're like cartoony, like super deformed versions of the characters. Mm -hmm. And they're like these little buttons that are sitting around the field in this like grid. And there's the obstacles and the different important points and the magic items and all the characters. And Mm -hmm. it... They show just like a normal page above it of, oh, and so-and-so fights and throws and they're fighting something jumps out of this portal and they shoot a lightning bolt at it. And it's like a normal page. But of course, then the GM narrates through and says, you know, so-and-so fires this and rolls this, you know, it's an epic fail or a crit. Yeah, And it even shows what they rolled on it, which is really really cool. (laughs) But below it is really neat because it actually shows them moving there, like has one character in a new spot and then shows an arrow from where they moved last time. And there are several full pages of them going through a couple different fights. And as soon as something kind of action is going on, basically whenever they'd have to roll for something, it actually shows 
this game board below where everybody's fighting and moving around. It's really, really entertaining. Yeah. And it's just a very unique take on things, which is very cool. I mean, obviously, a big part of this is that James Stowe is working on making this an actual board game. And so as he's moving through, he's, cre- he's world building and creating all this fun stuff and introducing us to different characters and different monsters and things like that. Mm-hmm. And is actually, this is all part of the world that will be the tabletop game. Now, I don't know if the tabletop game is out yet. I saw on their blog there was a couple of different things talking about game tests and things like that. And yeah. then their store, they talk about, they have some... Yeah, come play along with us. Right, exactly. We were, we were excited. We thought, we thought, oh my gosh, this is awesome. If it's reasonably not too expensive, maybe it's like they have like PDFs and stuff we can download to try it or whatever, especially if it's early on and they don't have an actual box out. But the game doesn't look like it's ready for everybody to play yet. It looks like you, know, you can do the pre-release game test things with them. In their store currently, they mostly have things like posters and backgrounds and that sort of the you know like special art stuff, which is really beautiful. Mm-hmm. But the game itself is not there yet, which is too bad because we were really excited to check the game out. We saw this and it's like, this is really cool. And these characters in this world yeah, is really fun. As soon as we figured out it was a game as well, we're like, oh man, we got to play that for a podcast. Right, that'd be amazing. Did you also see, Joe, that in the blog... It looks like they actually made, like, creature creation templates. Submissions, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, and what they were doing is they were they did, like, a couple, you know, professional ones where James came up with them or maybe somebody he was working with and, and did that. But then the thing that really cracked me up is that apparently he's had a bunch of different submissions from this, like, kindergarten class. Was it a kindergarten class? Anyway, it was like a kid's class, like a young oh, yeah. kid's, you know, it's like school class. I, I saw a lot of the, like, crayon drawings. It's amazing. And so he they, they send in a crayon drawing and explain, like, they, it's like fill in the blanks, right? So it's like a blank creature template, and there's a space to draw a picture, give a name, talk about what it does, all that sort of stuff. And so these little kids come up with this stuff, and then below that, he actually turns it into this beautiful picture of that character, like a rendering of that character, and has created it, and eventually, I would imagine, will show up in the actual comic or be part of the actual game. Yeah. Like, it's really cool. That's pretty clever. Yeah. It's really neat for it to transcend just being a webcomic and move into something you can actually interact with aside from just reading. Like I'm personally interested and excited to try Sidekick Quests when it actually comes out as a tabletop. I mean, we play tabletop games at Geek Life. We'd be happy to check that out. Have a night over at uh, Pinku and Neuro's house and they'll mop the floor with us and I'll probably fall asleep because that's what I do. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm terrible at these, actually. <laughs> I haven't played since... Uh... I don't know, the 90s? I will destroy you all. Oh, what were we playing? Like a, the Munchkin's card bitch. game the other day? Oh, oh Munchkin, yeah. yeah, yeah. Cthu- Munchkin's versus Cthulhu, was it? Or? Yeah. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> so, are we feeling pretty complete about the story and the and the, the game style and everything? Yeah, let's talk mm-hmm. about the yeah, art. let's talk about the art a little bit. So, what did you guys think of the art? There's a whole lot of artistic muscle stretched across this comic because... Uh, God, where do I even start? Well, first of all, like <laughs> when you look at the comic, it's it's kind of reminiscent of like uh, that that cartoon from the 90s. I think it was 90s or maybe early 2000s codenamed Kids Next Door. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's definitely early a little bit like that. Yeah. yeah, like same kind of drawing conventions where they've got like these big heads and little dot eyes that are so adorable. And then like these little string bean limbs. So like that. that's what really reminded me of. But in general, like the the style of those lines and the quality of those lines actually integrate really well with actually the, the lettering and, and the shapes of the balloons where they all kind of echo each other. So it's really probably one of the most well-integrated uh, visual styles in terms of uh, uh, use of dialogue and, and art that I've seen in a lot of these comics that we've been looking at, or it's so seamless. Colors are so well-matched to the panels. It looks really It's good. really high quality. Like, yeah. Yeah. If but, you guys have been listening to the 4Js podcast, 4Js in the comic over at waterfrontcomics.com, 
something that John Harder, owner of Waterfront Comics, and I were in California, <laughs> were talking about the other day, was that there's a difference between between indie and amateur, right? There are independent comics that are done on a professional level, but then there's also independent comics that are done on an amateur level and the whole range in between. Independent does not necessarily suggest a certain quality level. Often it does come with a a little more rough around the edges sort of expectation, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's always going to be that way. There are independent comics that are phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And, and that's polished what's... as hell. Exactly. And so, you know, it's pretty safe to say that web comics, for the most part, are in the indie comics zone. Mm-hmm. But along with several other ones, this one is so clearly professional quality, but released in an independent sort of place. Oh, yeah. And if you have any doubts, uh, make it to the part of the story where they introduce um, a little bit of the legends that are part of the world. Uh, th- there's this creature. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right, but it's either... Monjux or Monju or something like that. You know? well, hand it to Joe. He probably knows exactly the creature. He's a D&D guy. I think it's the Monlux. Is it an L? Uh-huh. Anyway, you get to the point of the story where this creature shows up and it's a compl- it's it's interesting because the forms are like the, you know, the actual shapes of, of shapes, they're really similar and they fit in with a, with the comic itself. But it's, you know, it's more fully painted work in the panels. It's, lo- it's beautifully rendered. Like. Yeah. So you can tell that, you know, that, the, you know, sometimes when you see somebody's comic book style, you don't know if it's deliberate or not. You can tell this is definitely a deliberate style because of what else this artist can do. It's really gorgeous and it's really cool looking. Something that I, I really liked that there was really nice, rich line quality and just kind of bright, whimsical coloring. Like the palette was very lighthearted feeling yeah it was like jewel like almost yeah it was very very fun you know it, it didn't it didn't feel i mean obviously palette has a huge impact on how you feel about it as a reader and this palette i think was very carefully and correctly chosen it has this sort of bright clear quality there's just something about this comic that just it has a very open breathy feel it's very easy to read it doesn't feel congested it's not hard to understand what's going on but i think that beyond just the really clean and like high quality professional level art there's also just this lovely, open, friendly, warm feeling. And I don't yeah, mean warm friendly. as in warm colors. I mean warm as in like it makes you feel warm and fuzzy inside. Yeah, friendly is a definitely a good word for it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a lot of awe. Yeah, it's great. Characters. Like not only the style, but the, also the, the palette is just very great. Rich and fresh. Definitely. Two, hard, two things that are actually kind of hard to mix. Yeah, and I think that the it, fresh is a good way to put it also. I like the character design a lot. I mean, you know, Pinku touched on that a little bit about... You know, the, the cuteness of it and everything. But the character design is really great. The characters are very endearing right away. It's very clear the kind of personalities that they have. They have this sort of incredibly expressive faces and just great monsters. And then one thing that I really liked is the backgrounds, like the cities and castles and forests and trees, have this sort of hand-drawn charm that don't suffer from that kind of anal precision of, you know, rulers and pencils and compass, you know. Mm-hmm. That it's it's not, very clear. Not architectural, but more gestural. Yeah, exactly. You know, because oftentimes backgrounds are very, very carefully drawn, especially if the characters themselves are more simplified or exaggerated looking car- cartoony kind of characters. A lot of the times the backgrounds get more and more detailed and it's a good mm-hmm. contrast. And sometimes when everything is really detailed or everything is really simple, it doesn't work. But I love the almost like little kid crayon sort of like the buildings aren't really straight and, you know, some of the perspective is a little funny. And instead of that taking away from it, it actually adds to it a lot. One of the first places I noticed that was right in the beginning when it's doing the monologue about in the land of the spiked knight took the king's daughter and that whole monologue page. 
it's looking at like this little road and uh, some trees and in the distance there's some houses and like the lines on the houses aren't vertical and straight and some of the things are a little off and but it like it works it looks really good it's it's like endearing somehow yeah it's kind of it really fits yeah very whimsical yeah it's very great by the way in case i haven't mentioned it yet king mcguffin awesome i know right (laughs) so good be sure to check out Sidekick Quests at SidekickQuests.com. It's obviously where you would read it and check out all kinds of cool stuff and be up to date on all the blogs and the new monsters and it's just a bunch of fun. You can follow the Sidekick Quests comic specifically separate from James on Twitter at Sidekick Quests. And then you can follow James at James Stowe. That's J-A-M-E-S-S-T-O-W-E. Well, James, we just really enjoyed your comic. It was a bunch of fun. I found myself giggling and chuckling a lot. I like the... And I don't want to give away any of the story because you guys could just go read it. Just go read it. But right in the beginning, I love how the dark wizard isn't quite what you're expecting it to be. And it's mm-hmm. a it's an interesting story. It's not something that's predictable. And it's just great. I'm really enjoying it quite a bit. And I continue to read more and more after we finished the prep for the podcast. And it's not too deep in yet. So an easy pickup. Yeah, definitely. Definitely recommend you guys checking it out. It's really good stuff. Well, we're going to go ahead and take a quick musical break. When we get back, we're going to talk about Turtles Forever. Forever. Heroes in a Half Shell. Turtle power. <laughs> You're listening to Geek Life. Stick with us. interesting suggestion we always want to talk about audible we are sponsored by audible here at geek life you can go to audibletrial.com forward slash geek life and check out a free audiobook of your choice as well as a one month subscription to their great service which offers you 30 percent off of their entire catalog a lot of us use audible around here and neuro had a really interesting book that he wanted to talk about so neuro tell us what this is so i was there i was reading articles about how to like really trick out my indiegogo campaign how to write effective verbiage and one of the articles was just gushing about this book called made to stick by don and chip heath which are brothers and so there i was late wednesday night i'm like i can't wait for this book to ship my campaign starts in a couple days how do i get this book and then i remembered audible I get the. I can start listening tonight. <laughs> That's right. So I went on Audible, got it, and the book really talks about developing a meaningful message. They talk about things they call schemas, which is kind of like common patterns we see. So, for example, do you guys remember a commercial uh, called the Enclave? It was a, like a minivan commercial. Hmm. Uh, no. Okay. Well, you, don't, you can look at it on YouTube afterwards. But it would look like a car commercial. They talked about all these things about the minivan. And then the commercial, it gets hit by another car. It cuts to black. And it says, you know, you never expect it. And it's a, a um, automobile safety ad. 
And because oh, it takes wow. something you're used to and then all of a sudden dramatically changes directions, you know, twist, so to speak, um, <laughs> it makes it very memorable and really effective. Interesting. And so that's kind of the message of the book. So uh, it, it has a seven point plan. Of course, remember none of the points right now because I'm still in the middle of uh, listening to it. Um, but uh, it's really interesting stuff. And uh, it's hopefully going to make my campaign really effective. So it could be really useful for any of you web comicers out there that are interested in starting up a crowdfunding campaign of some kind. Well, it's more than just crowdfunding, too. I think it, it just for ge- writers in general, it talks about this screenplay guy who his students are the ones that did X-Files and ER and just this really? list of all this popular screenwriting. And it's because of the way he organizes the story and organizes the message. Um, you know, I know step one is to, you know, find what the core of your message is. You know, you don't want to bury the headline or byline. Um, so it, it talks really about organization of information, how to present it effectively. So it, it can be used for storytelling. So well. it's useful in lots of different realms. So it's applicable to any instance where you have to communicate something, which is most often for us art or writing, right? Yeah, made to stick. It really wants people to be memorable. It really wants the idea to be memorable. So it sticks with people after they've been exposed to it. Right. Okay. Awesome. So made to stick by who again? It's by Don and Cheap Heath. And it's it's kind of an interesting story because one brother was an academic and the other brother was not. <laughs> and they, they realized they were both uh, researching the same subject, but in these different fields. And then, you know, they started working together on, on the book and putting it together uh, about how, you know, how to make, you know, messages effective. Interesting. Very interesting. Well, if you'd like to check out that book, it's a great recommendation for a lot of you guys out there. You can go to audibletrial.com forward slash geek life and get your free audiobook, And that's a good place to start. Thank wow. you, Nero. Good suggestion. So now let's go ahead and get into our Turtles Forever review. Now, for this, we have a special guest, John Harder from Waterfront Comics. Hello, hello, hello. Now, as soon as I mentioned to John that we were going to be talking about this, he said, oh, 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 I want a mic. (laughs) I love that movie. (laughs) Making his debut on the Pandamanga Geek Life podcast. That's true. It's nice to have you on Geek Life. The crossover begins. Is it redundant (laughs) to plug Waterfront Comics now? No, we totally no, should. Never. The shameless plug for Waterford Comics will now happen. <laughs> if you are looking one. for a really, really great comic book shop and you are anywhere in the northern california area yeah, the best place to go is waterfront comics in sassoon california right on main street waterfront comics is great really amazing selection john has an encyclopedic knowledge of comics and can point you in the right direction actually what we just talking the other day about how you've had people come in and they're coming in as a couple over and over again and then they come in broken up and sad and you're like well i've got a comic for you <laughs> like a bartender <laughs> for both ma- both male and the female side oh my god nice <laughs> so c- come in and and however the world is treating you john can give you a comic to cure what ails you also check out the new website as well as their podcast yes we are now up on itunes yes we are now up on itunes and we'll soon be proliferating all over the place as soon as we start working on that and yeah make sure to check out waterfrontcomics.com you can find out what is coming to the store next week wednesday which is comic book day just one of the best days of the week but yeah you can it's like christmas every, every wednesday or what is it tuesday comes to you right yeah nerd <laughs> said the nerd yeah but it's great so you can go to the site and you can find out what's coming to the store next so you can come with uh, an idea in mind as to what you're going to come pick up and it's very exciting. Not only the comics that are coming, but also the merch that's coming. It's a really good, really nice thing to have, actually. It's super, super convenient. And there's more than likely I might be wearing a turtle shirt when you come in. Quite possible. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, there is the four J's and a comic, which is John, John, Justin, and Joe. One of the Johns being me, JP, and the only Joe being Joe. <laughs> that's right. We talk about more. Chunk. 
<laughs> it's really great. So and the, Justin from AskMetalhead.com. Yes, Justin from AskMetalhead.com. It's actually a lot of fun. It is a great sister podcast to this one, where here we talk so much heavily about independent comics and self-published comics and web comics. And then on the 4Js podcast, we talk a lot about the sort of things you could actually purchase in a comic book store. So yeah, a lot of fun. All right, obligatory... Waterfront Comics plug complete. Thank you so much. That's my favorite part of your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> not vain at all. No. <laughs> no, Brian. I am not vain at all. <laughs> you're not vain when you're sitting next to Brian. <laughs> How Just, can Yeah, it's really hard to be. <laughs> Actually, I was... Funny story about vanity. I was at my old church the previous week helping them out, uh, fixing up a computer issue that they had. And after I had finished it, they're like, oh, you finished that? We've been waiting all year trying to figure out how to do that. I'm like, yeah, well, once again, your humble friend just proves to you, as you know, that he is the ultimate chiseled piece of epic manliness and embodiment of perfection Shit. that you know and love. Uh, oh, Brian. Something. Did the church not know that Jesus saves? <laughs> oh, they're fully aware. It was half in jest. Um, <laughs> half in jest. Shit. Okay, moving on to turtles. <laughs> so this past week, kind of on a lark, the Brian had actually gotten in from Netflix, Turtles Forever. I didn't know about it, or even what it was. Of course I know about turtles, but I didn't know about that particular movie. And when I brought our mail in, I said, hey, Brian, you got something from Netflix. What is this? He goes, oh, let me tell you. So Brian, <laughs> take it away. Okay, I'm just going to quickly give you the... I'm the IMDb, IMDb synopsis. <laughs> uh, that is IMDb for those of you. The uninitiated. Yes, for the uninitiated. Unwashed masses. So it's a 2009 TV movie. And the IMDb synopsis goes like this. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles meet their match. Literally, the modern gritty Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles must team up with their classic cartoon counterparts to stop two shredders and their plans of multi-dimensional scale. Imida is poorly written in this case. Yes, a lot of times the Imida synopsises are kind of really bad, which is partially why I like reading them. Oh, really? Um, yeah, th there are some horrible ones out there, but... <laughs> Hey, whatever. You can submit corrections, as I found out. I was editing my own. Is this sort of like a wiki thing? Oh, you were editing yeah. your own IMDb. Uh, just got to just got to insert that. So in shameless there. plug there. But uh, <laughs> no, you you can send in corrections, which is kind of cool. So it's kind of like a wiki, but you got to wait for someone to approve it. But yes, nice, nice. So it's an actually really interesting idea. There's been lots of different incarnations of the turtles. Obviously, starting back in January of '84, we got the actually. I looked it up. It was May. May. Damn it! <laughs> Bri we looked it up on Wikipedia the other day. Was yeah. it? Wikipedia, Wikipedia was wrong. I looked it up sense. last night. It was like March, and, and Temple of Doom came out the same time in the movies. Nice. Perfect. We're sort of secretly planning an 80s cast, and we'll, we'll talk about that later. That's going to be a next year thing. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, so it came out in 84. I'll just leave it there. <laughs> no, you said you said March or May, March of... I think it was March. Yeah. Spring. Yeah. Spring. Spring. Yeah, so came out in the spring of 84, and Eastman and Laird, right? came out and absolutely explosively successful. Not right away, but pretty quickly. Very quickly. Yeah, very quickly. Probably one of the most, if not the most successful independent comic ever. I mean, it just came out and exploded all over the place. And within a couple of years, it had a television show. I loved how quickly there were knockoffs that came out. There was adolescent radioactive black belt hamsters that came right. out the next yeah. year. <laughs> Uh, there was the battle toads, yeah. the street sharks, and there was always four of them. Street sharks. The street oh sharks. God. I remember the street sharks. Were street sharks a direct ripoff of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Just about. Oh, yeah. Really? Very much so, oh, yes. Funny. Oh, the biker mice from Mars? Oh. <laughs> 
<laughs> it just keeps getting better and better. See, oh, we, yeah. there need to be a crossover movie where those guys all get together. <laughs> and what, cut each other? <laughs> they just look sad. Why can't we be as successful? <laughs> right? You know, I actually stumbled upon a Power Rangers Ninja Turtles crossover movie. I nice. Or episode. What? Yeah. It, Pretty sure we need to talk about that later. It looked And watch that. That crazy. sounds amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so the idea of Turtles Forever is that, what was the vintage of the, at the time, the current animated show? So that had just ended its run, but that started in 2003. Mm-hmm. And... That one was definitely a little more gritty, a little darker. The characters were a little less goofy and plucky and silly and less constantly talking about and or, or motivated by pizza. Like it's, saying, what the shell? Yeah. I love how they're teaching little kids to use expletives just by replacing it with something that's seemingly benign. It's pretty hilarious and also awful. <laughs> anyway, the <laughs> but the, it was actually it's a really interesting. It's it's definitely different. You know, it feels like it's a little bit heading towards the original Eastman stuff, but still having a little bit of the flavor of kind of the 80s thing, which I would say that the 80s cartoon show was definitely probably the most prolific as far as most people in pop culture, just kind of familiarity wise. That's the one everyone thinks of when they think of the turtles. Yeah, but the turtles came in a lot of different flavors. They really have over the years. Now, there's a scene where they're looking at all the different iterations of the turtles right. in the multiverse. I couldn't name a third of them. Yeah. It's wild. It but I love them. that they had the CG movie one and the live action movie one. <laughs> yeah. That was awesome. And they had the live action movie homage where they had the bosses from the yes, first movie. They totally in, did, which was pretty cool in the mm-hmm. background kind of. So basically the idea is that the Technodrome from the eighties show driven and controlled by Shredder and Krang. 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 I forgot that he did the like weird burping thing all the time, but he does like constantly. Oh, it's so funny. It's so great to hear after so many years. <laughs> so good. So basically those guys are fighting the turtles and they have a dimensional teleportation device built Which in. Which was kind of a big thing in their uh, original 80s run anyways, because Krang was always trying to get people from Dimension X to come over through the dimensional portal. Right. So this time they ended up getting zapped over to a parallel universe where the, at the time, the current animated series was happening. And so sure enough, they show up and you've got all these crazy 80s turtles and crazy 80s bad guys clashing with these modern, more dark and gritty guys. And and they're constantly just at odds with each other because the 80s guys are like, you know, something terrible is happening and they're like, I know what we should do. Let's Let's get get some pizza. Or mm-hmm. Noogie. Noogie. Yeah. <laughs> They're trying to give Noogies to everybody. I think probably the greatest disconnect between the two that they make such great fun of is breaking the fourth wall. <laughs> it seems to be Raph, always see, Raphael, seems to be the guy who's always the one who's looking at the television and talking to the, the yeah. viewers. Yeah, mine yeah. like a steel trap, this one, right? Yeah, and, and it's the uh, bad guy or the mini boss, whatever you want to call him, from the 2003 series that always gets the brunt of it. And he's like, why are you doing this? <laughs> right, he's Who inevitably. Are you talking to? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Well, at, at first, at first, they just kind of look in the same direction and look back at Raph and they're like just confused, but they don't actually say anything. And it happens like two or three times. But I think the one towards the end where somebody says, you damn dirty turtles. And then Raph looks at the screen and says, that's not true at all. We actually are quite hygienic or we actually take showers regularly. I take a shower every day. Yeah. <laughs> and then the bad guy looks at him, looks at the camera and says, who are you talking to? Like, what? Pick, are you, why do you yeah, keep doing pick, that? Picks, picks him up and, and shakes, shakes him. him. <laughs> What's Explain going this. He's ah. really tortured by that thought. <laughs> he is. It's confusing to him. Anyway, so the idea is that the Technodrome shows up, bringing with it all the 80s characters, including the 80s Shredder. The 80s Shredder 
is still evil and trying to destroy the turtles, but in his own sort of cheesy and kind of incompetent way. Can't be mm. incompetent way. And so he figures, well, if there's turtles in this universe, like our turtles, then there's got to be a me in this universe. And so they find him and teleport him in. Now, I hadn't been watching the series, and so I was kind of taken aback by the fact that he's this, like, I don't know, little tiny alien dude, yeah. which was really strange. But sure enough, after a little while, he comes up and he's in his suit and it looks like Shredder again. But the Shredder from the 2003 series is much darker mm-hmm. and much more aggressive and mean and just evil and actually ends up pretty much just kicking the Shredder from the 80s aside as some incompetent idiot and taking over the Technodrome. <laughs> And upgrades it. And upgrades it a bunch. And basically, he's like, I know, we're going to destroy the turtles, like, once and for all. If there's turtles in this universe, there's probably other multiverses. And so he, like, learns that there's lots of different multiverses. And he's going to go and he's going to kill the original turtles. Turtles Prime. The Turtle Prime. Yeah, the the original turtle universe. Turtle Prime. And I can remember at that point in the movie, I looked over at the Brian and I said, oh, my God, are we going to get to see animated Eastman turtles? And he just grinned from ear to ear, that toothy Asian grin of his. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. That's the one right there. <laughs> oh, you didn't know that I'm half Asian? I I just thought you were the Brian. <laughs> it's his own nationality, right? I, I learned in the 400-page PDF I got before I got to meet him. Yeah, it's, you, you have to sign off. That, we, did we neglect to send that to you in the mail? Single space and six font. Yeah, six font. <laughs> yeah. So let's just open up the table to just discussion. What were some things that you guys really liked about this? I loved how meta it was. Now, if, if for those of you that aren't familiar with that term, explain. Meta is basically the characters are into it like the people watching it. So they're self-aware that they're cartoons. Or, so kind of toying with that fourth wall sort of thing. Yeah, It's, it's the, like taking a step back, too. It's like uh, other elements that compose this bigger element. Mm-hmm. And I like seeing the how it's juxtaposed between the, the late 80s, early 90s turtles, which were aimed at I'm guessing from about a six to 10 year old range to the 2003 turtles, which was probably like a 14 to 18 type yeah. range. And the differences you do and how goofy the ones that were aimed at children were versus the ones that were aimed for older adolescents. And then the Eastman turtles are introduced. Those were aimed more at adults when it was coming out. Yeah, so you get the, justifi- the justi- juxtaposition. juxtaposition between the three. Yeah, that was really interesting. Yeah. It's such a difference between the three. They're so dramatically different. And mm-hmm. it's it's cool that you point out why they're different, that they're aimed at a different audience. Because to me, I was just thinking like, oh, the 80s was silly. Because I'm not thinking about what they were aimed at. When I was a kid watching it, I thought, this is for me. <laughs> and, and Turtles never stopped being for me. <laughs> so True. It was a good bit in the movie where they played with that huge difference between them is the, the modern... Raphael is getting kind of picked on by the Eastman Raphael. It's like, what's with the multicolored headbands sellouts? <laughs> right. And then modern Raph's like, uh, uh, yeah, but look at the silly initials on their belt buckles, right? How stupid is that? And Eastman Raph just like puts him in an arm bar and kicks him in the ass. <laughs> and modern Raph's like, geez, what a hard ass. 
and the the 80s turtles kind of giggle at him because he's been giving them a hard time the entire oh because you know in the for those of you that don't know first of all oh my god go watch some turtles or read some (laughs) turtles there's turtles everything but anyway raf is perpetually the darker more complainy sort of severe character the thing you're talking about Mm -hmm. right there that the way that the different generations of the turtles interact with each other i love how the modern Michelangelo loves the old 80s guys. (laughs) Like, all of them. He's like, my people! They're like, they're all like me! Because Michelangelo was always the goofball. Yeah, Michelangelo's always the goofball, and so the Michelangelo from a ways back is hilarious. Like, he's cracking jokes left and right, and when they're fighting, like, underground, the Technodrome, and they're bringing out all the Foot Clan, and they're in the middle of this big battle, and they're saying these cheesy lines, like, somebody gets splashed with water, don't be a trip! You know, that sort of stuff. And and Michelangelo starts cracking up he starts like getting hit because he can't hold it together he's laughing so hard he's like stop it i'm trying to fight here (laughs) yeah the the script for this movie is really a love letter to the fans oh yeah it's rare to see executives you know green light something like this where it's done by the fans for the fans and you can tell there were fans that were definitely involved in, in this they pretty painstakingly recreated the feel of the 80s early 90s turtles even though there were none of the original voice actors correct the 2003 voice actors were, for the most part, the same they people, were all the same. Right, but, 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 but the but 80s the, ones were all different. Yeah, and surprisingly sounded at least similar-ish. Except for Leonardo. Yeah, Leonardo was too different, unfortunately. But it was, it was like a blast from the past. It made me really, really want to go watch the old show. Like, bad. Yeah, me too. I recommend the 2003 show. Yeah, that's... Is it good? Yeah, it's very good. It, it still holds up. I mean, it's only 10 years old, but it, it really holds up. That's awesome. Yeah, you had the experience of, I really want to watch the 80s show again. I, on the other hand, was like, you know, I tried, but I never really got into the 2003 series. Now I kind of want to watch the 2003 mm-hmm. series. Mm-hmm. That was my reaction to it. Well, so, that, that's now- kind of interesting, because uh, when I was watching it, I'm sitting there going, geez, I, w- I kind of want to watch the current one to see what happened and what's going on. Yeah, right exactly. Now. That was part of it. Oh, and for me, I just could not help but want an animated series for the Eastman black and white turtles. Oh, oh God. would that not be amazing? I want more turtles that will cut you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the black and white dot tone animated world was amazing to just look at. Yeah. Yeah. With, especially with modern animation techniques. I did the, some of the 3D support and assist. I mean, it just makes it look great. Speaking of modern animation <laughs> techniques, I loved how great the 80s turtles looked. Because even in the old show, they weren't real well-drawn, but the character design from them is probably one of my favorite character designs. But being drawn more skillfully now, especially for more modern and also in a movie, like, they look great. Yeah, 2003, mm. you can definitely tell those character designs were a lot was simplified a yeah, lot. Yeah, more keep, angular, like, more keep... exaggerated. Yeah, definitely. A little, a little like, yeah. more, you it's... know... It's really a great exercise in, in character design in general, just because uh, I was giving somebody advice the other day because they, they posted on a forum and they were asking, like, oh, what color should I color my character? And I said, well, what's your world like? You, you, they have to belong to everybody. They, when you see them out of context, you have to see them in colors and in shapes that echo the world around them. And, that, and definitely you can t- see that in the Turtles movie, because when you look at the 80s version, everything is kind of, you know, fluorescent. Yeah, and very bright. And bright. 
and just kind of, you know, big old goofy punk hairstyle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, when they went to the back to their world and everybody's yeah. walking around the ridiculous punk hairstyles. Uh-huh. It's like everybody looked like they were from some kind of futuristic 80s cyberpunk movie. Yeah, even the architecture was just different enough to be like, wow, this it is different. It was chunky and goofy. It was hilarious. I, I love how when the 80s turtles are in the modern turtles world, they're just walking down the streets because in their world, they're well known. And they're like, oh, we're just going to go. And so they just walk into a pizza parlor and everybody's like, oh, my God. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I guess the 2003 turtles keep themselves pretty hidden, like Very. actual ninjas. Uh-huh. Yeah, I would freak out too if someone came in and ordered a pizza with sauerkraut and, and jelly beans. Jelly beans, <laughs> regardless of whether or not they were human turtles. <laughs> I've always thought that it'd be interesting to go through and find a couple of those pizzas and just challenge ourselves to try them. Oh, <laughs> no, thank you. They're they're very strange, but I don't know. It just, just almost buy seemed... a cheese, take and bake pizza, add the toppings. Yeah, exactly. Okay, no, look, I like sauerkraut. marshmallows and pretzels, and yeah. I like jelly beans. I like marshmallows and I like pretzels, but I don't think I want them with you know marinara sauce on a crust. <laughs> maybe we can do a nice pesto. Or... There you go. Oh, there yeah, you go. Maybe right maybe sauce. Pesto will be a pesto more marshmallow. Flavor, right? yeah, you you can challenge a chef to do it, right? You can come up with like pretzel dough. You know, <laughs> what would you get? Like meat flavored jelly beans or something? <laughs> yeah, I right. would love to see that episode of Chopped. Yes, <laughs> epic meal time, like turtle style. Episode Japanese Iron Chef where they have fish ice cream. No, I'm just anyway, oh, anyway, fish ice cream. Japan has some of the craziest flavors for like nuts. Not they have like they have like savory desserts, and, and I'm not talking like rich creamy desserts. I'm talking like meat desserts mm. and not bacon like fish. <laughs> like you can get a fish milkshake. Like what? I did. I don't think that'll bring all the boys to the yard. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it'll bring Aqualad because he'll be mad that you put his friends in a milkshake. Possible, possible. But I did have an oyster milkshake once. Why? Interesting. On a dare. Oh. Was it any good? (laughs) No. (laughs) No, it wasn't. Case closed. Anything else about this that we want to say we liked before we move into trying to nitpick it a little bit, if we can? Can we without getting cut? (laughs) <laughs> I think we, we better not talk shit about the Eastman Turtles, but other than no, that, we're yeah, open. I don't think you can. They were the absolute best part of the movie. Yeah, yeah they really yes. down the best part. They I, knew it when they were making it too. Oh, they just hell yeah. they made you wait for it. Mm-hmm. I, I loved. I don't want to say what the ending, ending, ending was, but how they kind of finished up the wrapped up the very end of the film. I just kind of really loved that. Yeah, the very, mm-hmm. very end finishes off with. In the universe of the Eastman Turtles. And they go and they're like running across the tops of the buildings. Yes. And then jump at the camera and finish in this pose. It's the classic. And it is the end. The last like two pages of the very first issue of of Turtles ever. Same with the dialogue. Yeah, same. the, The dialogue, the scenes, and then that final jump in. And then they pan out and then they actually have an actual drawing of it and somebody's just and it's, it's and, Eastman, and Eastman is finishing it yeah. and they get up and they start yeah. walking over like let's go get some pizza yeah it's them putting together the first issue yeah i had to squee a little inside when i saw that yeah, yeah. it's completely awesome and just before that though they had the 80s and 2003 exchange too where they both did homages to each other which, oh yeah. right right the the 80s one said it's ninja time right yeah, yeah which was uh-huh. like the 2003 saying exclamation yeah. right and then the what was the old one uh, turtle, turtle, turtle power, power. <laughs> so if there's anything about this that you guys didn't like what would it be well i don't want to of course the brian chimes in the, I don't there's, there's I the brian like and the joe uh, <laughs> i was gonna say nope it's perfect <laughs> 4j's battle axe but no <laughs> i don't want to say that i didn't like it it was just kind of 
weird and jarring for me, which was the way that they changed the April O'Neil from the 2003 version. I was just kind of showing JP and Pinku and Neuro what the actual one looked like, whereas the one that they had had like the regular yellow orange, jumpsuit. Yeah, and- well, it was the. Yellow, it was like, like a track Bruce suit. Lee tracksuit. But that was the one that she used in the uh, CG movie. She was wearing that in the CG movie. So it was actually kind of a cross between that April from the CG movie and a little bit of the April from the 2003 TV series. So that was just kind of a little weird to see. Especially since the CG movie was in a completely different reality. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That was actually a continuation of the live action movies. Yes. Oh. Really? So that was kind of a weird thing that was just kind of jarring for me. Other than that, I really didn't have much trouble with it. I know JP had one issue with modern animation. Heck, I think he even put it out on Twitter. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. Please stop using 3D animation with 2D animation. Make it stop. Just make it stop. (laughs) It doesn't even work if you do like the cell shading rendering. There were several scenes with like back like okay, the scene in particular that shows up to me was when they were slowly going through the strata of the earth working their way down to the technodrome mm-hmm. and it was a lot of stuff was done in like actual 3d rendering and to me it just so clashes with 2d it's very rare i didn't notice yeah it i know that's the thing people well, get away with it yeah. for to me it i mean it could just be a personal thing but to me it drives me crazy it's, it's like if it's a- going to be 2d let it be 2D. It's kind of a trope, though, in Ugh. like big animation epics. There's going to be one kind of like 3D-ish scene. Yeah, but th- there is a reason why Miyazaki keeps winning awards. Because <laughs> he doesn't freaking do Actually, that. He did. Actually, he does now. No, he but he went back to it. He went back to for Ponyo. Yeah. But does he, oh, did he but go what, back to 3D again? No, well, I'm not sure about recent because I haven't seen the recent stuff. But, yeah, you guess. know, I think... It's really a matter of using it when it's a good tool as opposed to, okay, let's put it this way. He's used it in scenes where it actually helped accentuate the scene or made it better to animate, made it look more plausible. But when you're using it because there's budget constraints, it's clear. Well, I think the scenes where you're doing perspective, like when you're going through something, I think the 3D tools can keep the perspective consistent, which is almost impossible to do by hand. That's true. It's just, it's like if it's done really well. Okay, I guess I'll change my exclamation. Bad 3D and 2D movies. No. Because it's yes. terrible. A, yes. a, a show that does a great job of actual 3D in and among the 2D that is at times almost indiscernible is Futurama. Futurama yeah. does a great job of that. Now, its art style lends itself to that very well. But then again, the Turtles art style is simplistic-ish enough that it would fit along with that. And so they did a really, really well. A really jarring one was when you see the new Technodrome floating down through the, the street. E- mm-hmm. Through That's the Eastman. That one's like, well, not just the Eastman one, but like when they get back to the 2003 universe and it's just kind of like floating down the street versus the armies and stuff like that. And it's, see, I, Oh, that's painfully obvious. I, I thought that was more a stylistic choice mm-hmm. by showing that they had upgraded the 80s version to, yeah. to now. I guess so. Yeah. I, I took it that way. It, well, like I said, I, th- I think that more than anything, it just needs to be done well and needs to be in a place that fits. And if it's used as a shortcut or if it's just not well rendered or whatever, it's just jarring. I'd rather just see t- – I mean, but this is me. I'm super old school when it comes to that stuff. I really like the 2D animation just as it is. Well, in a way, it's kind of ironic approach because you're doing it because it's easier to do this than actually draw something. And, you know, in theory, it would look, quote, better – but what it's actually doing is using that uncanny valley principle again, where it looks too perfect compared to the slight imperfections 
in cell shaded animation. And so because of the, the discrepancy and the disconnect or yeah, indiscrepancy and because of the disconnect, we're seeing, you know, just that they're just different things and it makes it stick out. Well, and I think it can really increase the quality when you're doing really high paced scenes yeah. where you're, you're not going to have the you're not going to want to put the effort in in traditional animation where you can do it in 3D and it's going to make it improve the quality in little gaps like that. It can be yeah. done. It can be done well, but I didn't but think the that the slow pan down and the slow hovering technodrome. Yeah, mm-hmm. it stick it sticks out. I won't lie. When I saw that, I kind of wish that there was some like fight sequence that they outsourced to Korea or Vietnam that looked like <laughs> completely off and different, like they do with a lot of anime series. Yeah, where it's just like, okay, we need to quickly have this one budgeted by another animation studio from another country, and it looks just off. As far as things that I didn't like, though, that's probably about it. Yeah, it was a really fun. I enjoyed the hell out of it. It was a, a fun story. Like- yeah, it's just. I was like grinning it. from ear to ear like an idiot the whole time. <laughs> I was sad when it came out that the Fathom event for it was canceled. Oh, oh, dude, were they going to huh. do that? Yeah, I had tickets for it, and oh then they. Oh my god, that would be it amazing! It was a snafu between the movie and Cartoon Network or wherever it aired on. Uh, lame. Nickelodeon, I think. Oh, That's really not cool. That would be amazing to see in the theater with a bunch of people who love it too. Right? Oh yeah. Oh, oh my god. Man. Yeah, because just having it, like watching it with JP and Nuru and Pinko and us giggling and laughing and remembering certain things, that was a lot of fun. Having an audience participation with this was just already a very entertaining film. Just make would make it so much better. Yeah, it would yeah. be amazing. That would be amazing. So we need to start like a petition or a fan page, something like, do a Fathom event, bring it back. Oh, we should also start a petition to make a 80s style black and white I will cut you, bitch. Um, yes. Turtles show. You know that what we, we got to do is we got to get, because they actually, they have this movie in its entirety on YouTube. We should do a vidcast of it with people. That'd be awesome, right? And we just got to set a time. And we, can, we should yeah. totally do that. It'd be amazing. Cool. Well, any final thoughts? We want to wrap it up and get into our reviews? I want to see it again. Yeah. <laughs> I actually did watch the Eastman part like two or three more times. Yes. Just skipped all the way ahead. To, uh, are you gonna put yeah. the? YouTube I had kind link of forgotten the that they're kind of like. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was gonna say, are you gonna put the YouTube link in the notes? I don't know. Do you think that's appropriate? It's on YouTube. They'll take it down if it's unlicensed. I guess so. Yeah. What the hell? We'll put the YouTube link in the show notes. I had kind of forgotten that the original Eastman and Laird Turtle runs were kind of like a parody of things like daredevil and those gritty things. And so there was some sequences where they're fighting and you have Leonardo doing an internal monologue of what's going on, but you, everybody can hear <laughs> but it. Everybody else can hear it. And they're like, why the hell is he narrating all of this? That doesn't sound like something you don't like though. It just sounds like something you love. No, I loved it. I was just saying, I, I forgot to mention it in the, I love it section. Oh, right, but right. Yeah. So John Harder out of five, what do you think you'd give it? Um, a four and a half. Four and a half and fun factor out of 100%? 99.7. You hear it first, folks. 99.7. The Brian out of five. I would give it, I guess, full price, which would be the five. Yeah, no, that's a this, four. Midnight or, yeah, show four out five. of five. I'm, my apologies. Which I wouldn't go see a midnight show of this, but full price at a night evening. Oh, yeah, definitely would have. Mm-hmm. Fun factor, 90. Easily. Joe. Near to ear. Dude, a midnight show of <laughs> Turtles for a sweet. That would be friggin' awesome. God, I'd love to see that on the big screen. It'd be amazing. No, definitely a five of five midnight That's show. Solid five. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fun factor? Easy 90, 95, mm-hmm. 92.5. 
I'm 82.5. <laughs> I'm with John on this. I'm going to get a 4.5 with a fun factor of 85. However, you watch it with friends, 10% bonus, 95. Yes, <laughs> for sure. For sure. Pink. Yeah. Wow. Um. Let's see here. I guess uh, definitely a four because I've seen a lot worse for midnight showings and stuff. And I think it, it would have gone up if I had actually watched all of that series, but I didn't. So I'm sure there were things I was missing from that movie. So it's probably going to make me watch the series, watch the movie again, probably rate it higher later on. And then uh, enjoyment factor, 90%. I wanted to see the turtles just beat the shit out of current Shredder. Just, just to show how scary. Or sorry, I want to see the Eastman turtles just beat the shit out of the current. Like they shredder. did in that first issue. Like they <laughs> yes, whooped his I just, ass. I just wanted to see that so badly, and it didn't happen. But other stuff happened. But it was still all right. Although but, I do like what happened to the Eastman Shredder. Yeah, in this. that yeah, that was sure. pretty hilarious. Mm-hmm. So I, I would do a a four and a ninety percent. I thought it was a great bunch of fun. I think I probably would have gone higher on the score, similar to what Pink was saying. I just I didn't know the two thousand three show, yeah. and so. When they were like, and it's an alien in a suit for Shredder. And I'm like, what? Where's Orokusaki? What's happening? And he has a daughter? How does an alien have a human daughter? What's happening here? I was very confused. But other than that. Like an old person trying to use a computer? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, shit. (laughs) It's it's happened. (laughs) Anyone want to say anything about the differences in the Splinter? There's something that was really interesting that we noticed as we were watching the film that... As serious as the new Turtles had gotten, the 2003 Turtles had gotten, Splinter was goofier. Like, markedly goofier. Oh, yeah, in comparison to the old Splinter, the 80s Splinter was much more stoic. He was a straight man. He was a straight man. It's, it, there's, there's a flip between them. If you watch the movie, you'll know, you'll see that the new Turtles that are so serious, the new Splinter is much more relaxed, much more silly. He's, you know, watching daytime television and getting all That's, wrapped up in soap operas and being the really... The soap opera thing has been kind of a shtick for him right, for a while, Right, but what I'm though. saying is, is that he comes across as a little more lighthearted and silly in mm-hmm. comparison to the old one. When they go Not back... serious. Yeah, yeah, when they went back, the old one seemed a lot more in alignment with the new ones in attitude. It was much more serious, much more like, okay, let's take care of this, instead of kind of wacky and goofy. Yeah, he was kind of like the balancing yeah, factor so between the two. It seemed like there's been a, they, they did a switch. At least that's what it felt like to us. I mean, it definitely in the movie anyway. I don't know how it was in the show, but in no, the movie. No, I mean, I remember there was an episode where he lost his kimono and was kind of going around trying to find a new one or that sort of thing in the 80s show. So there were some definitely goofy moments with. Right, but uh, it just seemed like his general sort of tone was a little bit more serious. And it was a good balance because as the turtles are so goofy back then it's good for there to be like a straight man like you were saying and i think i think it definitely flipped or it felt like there was a little bit of a switch you know so i don't know maybe i'm reading into it too much but i felt like i think we all noticed that and we we started talking about it and i think we all collectively were like yeah look at that that's really cool so i don't know john John harder's giving me a look like no I didn't notice it. <laughs> well, there's the one scene where they're they're in the, the third 2003 Turtles are in the 80s universe and they're at the table with the old Splinter. And it's like the scene where they actually kind of feel some comfort in this bizarre universe. Because they don't know what happened to their Splinter at this point. Right. Oh, one last thing. I'm pretty confident that it's the greatest thing ever that 80s Donatello, when he's trying to fix something and wire something together, just ties a knot out of the wires, and then it just works. Uh, And then the 2003 Donatello, when the 80s Donatello's, I need to make this device. He's like, there's no way that can work. That's a flashlight. (laughs) And then, yeah, somehow the 80s Donatello brought his magic of just 
totally nonsensical <laughs> technology just working because why not apparently Hand he like brought the ability That's to do that to, right it's like he's the magic you know he's a genius science isn't all about facts yeah, yeah right yeah, did you say I, that? that that line cracked me up <laughs> <laughs> oh man it was such a good movie I, okay before we wrap up i gotta know let's go around john harder your favorite turtle Raphael. Raphael. brian donatello joe donatello donatello because he isn't the you know engineering one the nerd almost Mm, mixed between Donatello and Leo, I kind of usually end up liking like the leader or the main protagonist of a lot of series. But sometimes Leo was a bit of a stick in the mud. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I like that. Sometimes and that's why I like Raphael. He was <laughs> he was the Wolverine to Leonardo the Cyclops. <laughs> that's true. I'm just saying sometimes sometimes I need a little establishment. Sometimes I need not. Mm-hmm. Michelangelo all day long. <laughs> I don't know why, but I've always loved Mike. He's just good, clean. Fun. Mikey's good. Cowabunga versus. Oh, yes. We do need to make one incredibly geeky complaint. In the new 3D animated one, which the couple episodes I've seen, I've really enjoyed the hell out of. I give it a meh. (laughs) Really? Yeah. I, 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 on a scale of one to banana, I give it a meh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't think it was terrible. I watched a couple episodes and didn't get into it. I mean, obviously, I haven't watched more. I've only watched a couple. But where I turned it off, because, you know, I figure, you know, I give it a couple episodes, see if you're going to like it. When I think it's like, you know, maybe episode three or four or something like that. And it starts out with Mikey up on the top of this uh, skateboard ramp and he's going to rip down it. And and he yells, Booyakasha! And then goes down and I'm like, nope, I'm done. <laughs> it needs to be Kawabunga or nothing at all. <laughs> that is not okay. The 3D animation on it really bugs me. It's Yeah, it's it's odd. It's like kind of weird and blocky. Like they have these like crazy stumpy fingers. And, and then really cell shaded too, isn't it? No, not at all. It's well, almost have you ever like seen Velvet. Transformers it's... Prime, which is a CG animated Transformers show on the HUD network, or I don't know if it's still going on or not, but it's kind of got a similar feel where the characters, there's something off with them. It's a bit off-putting. They're strange kind of proportionally wise. It's all about reboot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't like that show either. Oh, oh. that makes me sad. I, I love reboot. I loved it. I reboot gave it. us Dan DiDio. Oh, there is. Oh, okay. Uh, That's true. (laughs) All right. Well, I think that uh, we've gotten to the point where we're just rambling. So let's go ahead and finish up the podcast. Thanks so much for listening. You guys had a bunch of fun talking about Turtles. There will be a link in the show notes for the Turtles movie. We recommend you check it out. And I think that we will set up a vidcast session for it sometime in the future. So maybe a a week or so from now, after people have listened to the podcast and are thinking about it, it'd be fun to check that out. So. We will do that. Also, remember, go to Indiegogo and type in vidcast in the search and check that out. Fund it up. Very exciting. Talk to you guys later. Also, we'd love to hear what you guys think about this. Email us at geeklife at pandamega.com or put it in the comments section. I would love to hear what you guys think of this. Well, thanks for listening to Geek Life. We always love to hear from our listeners. Please email us, like the Brian just said, at geeklife at pandamega.com with your questions, comments, and insights. Anyone interested in becoming a PM contributor, visit our contact page at contact.fandomanga.com and complete the form located there. Music's been provided by AirPlus Recording. As always, links to the artists and songs featured in this episode are available in the show notes at podcast.pandamanga.com. If you'd like more information about AirPlus Recordings, visit airplusrecordings.com. This is John Harder from waterfrontcomics.com and 4Js in a Comic podcast, and we'll see you next time. Cowabunga! Turtle power! Uh-huh. It's ninja time! Ninja Turtle! Ninja Turtle! Ninja Turtle!
Turtles. Turtle power. This is your name, and we'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs> no, do do from waterfrontcomics.com, I think. And for Jason, a podcast. <laughs> Son of a bitch. No, that, you know what's here. amazing is that you're the first person who's done that. The first. Well, it was odd. <laughs> of course it's obvious. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody had to do it.